Well, it's good to see you all. It's always good to be back in your home church. As many of you are aware, we do travel quite a bit, but it's a privilege to be able to travel. It really is, and just to see what God is doing in different places and, and through different people and in different regions. And for those of you that continue to pray for us, we do thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Amen. This morning, what I would like to do is to talk to you about something that's still busy unfolding in my own life. But I think it's something that God is busy doing. I think it's a season he's taking the church into, not just this church, a number of churches. And for many of those that have been asking and believing and trusting the Lord, I think it's a season we're entering into that we're going to begin to see some things just very differently. I want to talk about the presence of God. And I want to talk about the presence of God in terms of the anointing and the glory of God. And I need to give you a little bit of a background so you just understand the context from which I come. And I need to say straight up front that it has nothing to do with me whatsoever. Please understand that. That's something I believe that God is currently busy doing. How many of you know that there are like seasons? God is always with us. But there are seasons, somehow, when God just seems a little closer than normal. The whole charismatic movement, we just gave it a terminology, where things just seem to happen. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Sousa Street revival, things just seem to happen. Now, it didn't happen out of the vacuum. There was obviously stuff that happened beforehand that facilitated that. And I really believe we're entering into a season a fresh season in God, something around the glory of God. God manifests himself in places. God's presence is always everywhere, but he manifests his presence. He makes himself known. He manifests, it's what we call the manifest presence of God, particularly in two areas, where he's worshipped in spirit and truth, and where he's continually honored, revered, and wanted. Those are key areas that will come and manifest his presence. We had the privilege of going up to Chicago. I was there two weeks. This is a little while ago. I went without Michelle for the first week. I went up to a church that you and Vanessa lead. and They were busy in France. And they asked me to come and just spend a Sunday there. And I know what that's like when you have a new church and it's a new church plant, and it is. Uh, you don't want to leave it because you don't want to leave it with somebody you're not sure what's going to happen. So you want to leave with somebody you trust. I remember back in South Africa when Michelle and I went on vacation, when we had no leaders that we could lean on, we were still new, we were developed. I used to get somebody that I knew and trusted, a man called Andrew, Andrew and Sue Godfrey. He was in another church, and I just knew I could go away and my heart was at peace because I knew I could trust him. But I knew I could trust his heart. That was the key. And so I went up to Chicago, flew up on a Saturday, and I ministered in that church on a Sunday. I didn't do a very good job, unfortunately. Just that's what it was. And I told you when he got back. But there was a great sense of ministry afterwards, which I felt was particularly good. Then on Monday and Tuesday, I went to Steve and Debbie's church. They were not there. They were also in France. They were still coming back. So I had the privilege of spending Monday and Tuesday by myself in somebody's basement. And I was going to use it just to say, God, what do you want to do in Chicago? What do you want to do 
Because when I go into a church, I don't just want to pick my best sermon. I want to find out what God is doing and walk alongside that to help best I know how. And so I just felt very stirred to go and read about Moses going up and down the mountain. And he made a number of trips up and down the mountain, and we're going to touch on that. And as I started to read, it's like God gripped my heart. And I spent Monday and Tuesday more in tears than reading, because every time I read about the glory of God, I would just end up crying. I'm just being honest. It took me by surprise. Wednesday, I went and picked Michelle up at the airport in Chicago. We went back to the basement and uh, obviously greeted everybody and spent the time there with them. And then Thursday, we had Thursday, Michelle and I, and we decided to spend some time in prayer. And so I started to share with her a little bit about just reading Moses. And again, I just ended up in tears. But I mean, I, I just don't know how to tell you. But I think I must have cried in those three days, maybe four. I don't want to exaggerate. 14 hours, on and off, on and off. We decided to go and have lunch on the Thursday at Panera. <laughs> we found a Panera. And when we're sitting at Panera, we're busy eating, and Michelle says to me, you know when you were reading about Moses and she mentions the word glory, and as she said the word glory, I burst into tears in Panera. But just started to weep and weep, and, and Michelle's laughing and laughing, and I'm weeping, and she's laughing, and I'm weeping, and she is hilariously laughing, and I'm weeping. That's what happens. She laughs, I cry. And I can see some people looking at us, and eventually I calm myself down. I said, don't mention that word. And then she, she's very naughty, she mentioned it, and I start weeping again. But anyway, <laughs> that's what happened. And I say that just to give you a context of what started to happen in my heart and what started to just unfold. And when we were there, Steve and Debbie asked us not to preach much, but just to do a lot of ministry type. So Friday night, we shared for 10 minutes, but we did a lot of ministry. Saturday morning, we did some ministry training for them. And then Sunday morning, similar thing. What he did was he called Michelle and I up on the stage and he interviewed us very different. And I asked some questions, and then he said, all right, just do what you feel you need to do. And the presence of God came into that place to such a degree that Steve got stuck to his seat. So when the end came, I wanted to call him up and say, come and finish, but he couldn't get out of his seat. He was glued. He was just glued to his seat. There was just a wonderful sense of what God was doing. And I preached a little bit of what I want to share today, but not long. Came home Sunday night, so I've got to give you the context. I slept in my bed Sunday night and Monday night, and Tuesday morning I flew out to Vancouver. There was a, a conference there, and I uh, was only there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, four days. It seemed a long way to go for four days, but I knew I had to go. I really knew I had to go. And when I got there, Tyron, who some of you know, called me aside, and he said, do you have something to minister? And I said, yes, just on the presence of God. He said, I want you to minister on that. So he gave me an opportunity to minister on the Wednesday night there. And I ministered a little bit around what's busy unfolding in my heart. And God just did a wonderful thing. He really did. I just really feel that we as a local church and churches are entering into a season where the glory of God is going to be manifest in a more profound way. And I feel like God is busy drawing people, and I'm going to explain that now. So I want to talk a little bit about that. 
Just the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. God's presence is the weightiness of God, and we can never be flippant or casual about it because it's God's presence. And I know he's everywhere, but he manifests himself in a meeting or through people or in a place. And even in some times when Wesley was alive and when Charles Funny was alive, as people entered in to a port on the, on the ship there with these hardened sailors, as they came within a certain radius, 50 miles, 20 miles of the port, the, the glory of God, the presence of God got hold of them on the ship. And so when they landed in port, many of them were under the power of God because they just entered into that zone. If you That can happen. It really can happen. And we, you and me, we are designed, the sole purpose we are designed is to carry the image of God, is to carry the presence of God. That's, it's the greatest expression that God shows where he inhabits something he's created. And he did that in the Old Testament, he inhabited the tabernacle, he inhabited the temple that were created according to the way he wanted to be created. But today he inhabits his people. He lives in his people. In, the, in a dispensation gone past, God came to men and then went, and came to men and then went. That's what he did with Abram. He came to him, spoke to him, and then, in a sense, left. And so you get these intervals where God came. When Moses walked on the face of the earth and the prophets, it's like God came to them, and he was with them, but not in them. And he was with them in the cloud and in the pillar. So he was with them. But in the New Testament, God lives in man. It's an incredible, credible thing that God lives in man. And Jesus demonstrated these two facts. The capacity of the nature of man to receive God into his being and the marvelous capacity of the nature of man to reveal God. Only mankind has this. No animal has this. The uniqueness of mankind, if God is created in a way that we have the capacity to receive God and reveal God. It's an incredible truth, that. It's an amazing truth when you think how bent out of shape mankind can be and steeped in sin and how God can redeem that and let his presence live in man. So there's a difference between the anointing of God and the glory of God, and this is what I want to explain a little bit. The anointing of God is when God works through a person to do what he wants to do. The anointing is not about shaking or falling down. That can happen. But the anointing is to achieve a purpose. Somebody's given an anointing for a task. You with me? So you get an anointing on your life in order to perform some task or calling that God's called you to. Jesus said, the spirit of the Son of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do this, 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 this. You're with me? And so every one of us have to find what God's anointed us, how he's anointed us, and for the task. Please don't go after somebody else's. Find out how God has put you, wired you together. It's not a tremor in the voice. It's not a shouting. It's not, it's just... You've heard me touch on this before. It's, it's the super smeared on the natural. 
It's, sun, it's like taking suntan lotion and putting it on you, and when you walk outside in the sun, you don't look at the suntan lotion in the sun and wonder if that's going to protect me. You just go about your business, and it protects you. That's literally what the anointing is. It's oil. It's a super smeared on the natural, so we become supernatural. But it can vacillate in our lives. It comes in ebbs and flows, depending on our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. Amen. And when you minister under the anointing, at the end you are tired. You understand what I'm talking about? Because God is using a, a human vessel to express something of himself to other people. And it tires you out. When the glory of God comes, man gets out of the way. And it's just God. So we've got to learn the difference between when to get out of the way and when not to get out of the way when God says, I want you to do it. You're with me? Because if we don't, then the flesh comes in. It's very key to understand that, and we begin to develop that. So the anointing of God, as I said, ebbs and flows. But when the glory of God comes, that's when we get refreshed. That's when we get invigorized. That's when we get, I don't know, just built up inside. The anointing of God doesn't build us up inside. The glory of God does that. The anointing breaks yokes. The anointing sets free. The anointing delivers. The anointing attracts. It's a fragrance. It's like a honey. It's like a, a fragrance on a flower. It attracts the bees. It attracts people. It attracts people to God. That's what the anointing does. Amen. And it normally works through mankind. But the glory is vastly different. Vastly different. So, when I started to read about Moses up and down the mountain, Moses went up and down the mountain four or five times. And you can read it in Exodus, and we're going to turn to some of it now. In Exodus 19 through to 34, God calls, they'd just come out of, uh, they'd journeyed for three months, and they'd been three months out of Egypt, and God had done some miraculous things. He had given them manna already, he had turned a bit of water that they could drink at a number of things God had done. And then God calls Moses and says to Moses, go tell the people I'm going to manifest myself on that mountain and I'm going to speak to you and they're going to hear me and they're going to know that I'm speaking to you. Then they'll learn to trust you. Just a byproduct. We begin to trust leaders when we know they hear God. that's what it's about, hearing God and what he wants to do. So he goes and tells the Israelites, God's going to come. If you go read it in Exodus 20, God begins to speak. This, this, this cloud that's just a manifestation of his glory comes upon this mountain. The mountain shakes and trembles, and the trumpet gets louder and louder. It was obviously an angel, and fire is coming out of the mountain, or whatever the case, and it says billows of smoke. It's the glory of God just manifested. That's all it is. It's just that they could see it with their natural eye. And then this God speaks, and the people hear it, and he speaks the Ten Commandments. And then the people run to Moses and say, whoa, whoa, because they're still on the, the desert floor. They, we can't take this. They were petrified. They were afraid. Think about it, people. Think about it. They were petrified. They were afraid. And they said, no, no, no. Let God speak to you, and then you come tell us. 
Now, in the New Testament, that doesn't happen because the Bible says in Hebrews and Ephesians that because of our faith in him and through our faith in him, we can approach the throne of God confidently. Hallelujah. That's what grace does. That's what the blood of Jesus did for us. It doesn't have to come through a man. We can go directly to the Lord. So then he go, the Lord, Moses goes and tells the Lord, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to call you up the mountain. Bring some leaders with you. So he takes Joshua and, and some people, some of the leaders, and they go halfway up the mountain. So it's like they come off the desert floor, they go halfway up the mountain in the glory of the Lord. They're not in the smoke yet, but they're just about in the smoke. And then the Lord says to Joshua, send some of the leaders back so they can look after the people, but bring Joshua with you. And, and then the Lord calls Moses into that smoke, into that glory, and he spent 40 days and 40 nights up there. And many people forget that Joshua was halfway up the mountain. He spent 40 days and 40 nights halfway up the mountain. God was preparing for what was coming. And the, God writes, the Bible says, God writes literally the finger of God on these tablets of stone. And Moses comes down the mountain. And when he comes down the mountain, you know the story. The Israelites are saying, where is this fellow Moses? Where is he gone? They didn't, because the Bible doesn't tell, they never told the people how long he would be gone. So they decide to say, well, let's make our own gods. And Aaron says, give me all your rings and give me your earrings. And you know the story. He throws it in the fire and he says, the calf just jumped out. And then they begin to worship the calf. That's what he said. I don't know. Moses asked him, he said, well, this calf jumped out. And they begin to worship the calf. And they actually said, this is the God, this calf. It led us out of Egypt. Isn't it amazing people can do that? So Moses comes down, and the Bible says he was angry. There was a reverence of anger in him, and he throws the tablets on the floor, and they smash, they break. And then he begins to intercede on behalf of these people, because the Lord said to Moses, all right, Take, he actually says, take your people. And Moses has to remind God and say, no, it's your people. Because <laughs> the Lord says, take your people, Moses. And Moses says, no, it's your people. <laughs> he says to Moses, take your people and move camp and take them into the promised land. Because I swore an oath to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, I'll give you a land. So he's fulfilling his promise. And he says, the Lord says to Moses, and I'll send my angel before you. And then Moses says, no, Lord. Unless your presence goes with us, do not send us. Unless your presence goes with us, do not send us. Then he says, show me your glory. So the Lord says, all right, Moses, come back up the mountain. Go and chisel two more tablets of stone and carry that stone tablets with you. Must have been a fit man. It took about three, three and a half hours to climb that mountain. He went up and down it five or six times. And he took the tablets of stone back up the mountain, and the Lord reveals his glory to Moses. And when Moses comes down the mountain, his face is shining. His face is radiating the glory of God. It's literally this light is emanating from him because he spent 40, another 40 days and nights without water or food, the Bible says. And I don't think Moses knew how long he was up there because when you're caught in the presence of God like that, time just fades. It just goes. You've experienced it to some degree. And now I have. 
It just disappears. Time just vanishes. And he comes down, and the people say, Oof, we can't look at you. And he has to put the veil over his face. Now, why am I telling you this? Because as I was reading that, I felt God throw me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. From verse 1, it says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You ourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of a human heart. We'll carry on reading. So Paul is taking that analogy of Moses going up and down the mountain receiving the tablets, where the Bible actually says the finger of God wrote on the tablets. So Moses didn't write on the tablets. The finger of God wrote on those tablets. That's what it says, literally. The finger of God wrote. And Paul is saying, we're no longer like that. The spirit of the living God has written on our hearts now. And you are our letter of recommendation because the Spirit of God, when we came to you and we preached and ministered to you, the Spirit of God came and writ on your heart. And so you're our letter of recommendation. I don't need pamphlets and I, or I don't need placards. I don't need uh, degrees because you are our testimony. you with me. So it clearly says that God writes on the tablets of our heart. That's what he does. Verse 4, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So he's making sure, listen, this is not my work, he's saying to these Corinthians. This is what God did in your life. This is what he did. He wrote it on your heart, and you'll continue to write it on your heart. He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, this is the whole key, the next seven, eight verses. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was the law, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men, because it was the law, is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now. That faded in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? That's an amazing piece of scripture. That God is going to reveal his glory and write on the tablets of our heart. And Paul goes on to say, this happens as we contemplate him, as we look at him, as we fix our eyes on him, we are changed from one degree of glory to the next. That's how we are changed. It's a process of being changed from one. As we look at him, his glory will refresh us. His manifest presence is not coming through a person. It's coming from him himself. His glory is who God is. 
His love, His goodness, His, His everlasting kindness, His forgiveness, His mercy. It's all wrapped up in that. That's the glory. That will begin to transform me from one degree of glory to the next. God, I don't know what that does to you, but what it says to me is, my, that's what God says He will do. If we seek Him and allow Him to do it, and sit in his presence. His glory will be revealed to us. His glory will come over us. Go for me to Matthew 17, please. His glory is his nature, his way of relating to us. God's glory is revealed and shown in love, mercy, grace, compassion, faithfulness, forgiveness, and justice, as seen in and through Jesus Christ. Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them high up a mountain by themselves. Then he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then appeared before him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke says they spoke about his departure. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was speaking, happened to Peter twice. While he was still speaking, the presence of God came, just interrupted him. <laughs> then, and in Cornelius, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. That's the glory of God came. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son. The New King James says, this is my beloved son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And that's the key. And the glory of God comes. You see no one else but Jesus Christ. Your gaze gets taken off mankind. Your gaze gets taken off the world. Your gaze gets taken off your circumstances. Your gaze gets taken off your failures. Your gaze is fixed on Jesus Christ. When the glory of God comes upon your life. I'm sharing this because I feel like God is taking his church into a season where he's going to manifest his glory to a greater and greater and greater degree. in people's lives, in churches, in cities, in nations. The glory of God is going to increase. And some of you sitting here that over the last month, two months, three months, four months, I don't know, and this is a sign, this is a token to show you that this is beginning to happen. Where God has captured you afresh. Where you know these seasons in your life where you try and push into God, but all you try just doesn't seem like everything distracts you. You try and pray and you just like hit a wall. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But there are other seasons in God where it seems to come, it's like he draws you. It's like he captures your heart and he begins to draw upon you. And that becomes your primary focus. 
So you get invited out for dinner, but you can't, get, you can't wait to get home, not to just like the people, you like the people, but you want to get home so you can go spend time with God. That cannot happen by you. That's the Spirit of God drawing on your heart. That's the Spirit of God drawing on your heart. And some of you are busy going through that process right now. Some of you are being drawn by God. The other things in your life are beginning to fade. It's not like you're having to consciously push them aside. They're just fading because of this attraction, this draw of the Spirit of God. Because he's preparing for something, and it's a token of what he's doing. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen to others. It is. But it's just to show you God's busy doing something. It's a new season. It's a fresh season. And if you're one of those people, won't you stand? And I'm only asking you to stand so people can see, but I want you to understand what I'm talking about. It's not something, it's something that was outside you. It was something that just started to happen. You don't know how, you don't know why. You just all of a sudden had a greater desire for God. He just started to draw on you. He just started to, you might even begin to start weeping in your car and you don't know why. You have no clue. You're just driving and just thinking, you just burst into tears. Whatever. But you can feel it. You can, you just, you're so much aware of it more than normally. Why don't you stand, please? I'm asking people to stand, not because they're special, because I want you to see what God is busy doing. God is preparing for what he's about to do and what he's about to release. And so he's drawing and tugging on people's hearts afresh and anew. He's drawing people aside. He's saying, come and spend time with me. Come and spend time in my glory so I can change you from one degree of glory to the next for what's coming. And it doesn't mean he's even calling you to pray. He's just calling you to be with him, to seek his face, whatever that looks like. Just continue to do it, Lord. Just even now, Father, I just ask you just to increase. Just increase. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the tug on people's hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just keep focused. One of the difficulties about sharing stories in other places is we sometimes want to manufacture that, yeah. And God won't do it that way. He'll do everything different in different places. And I feel sometimes past experience can box us. Because we go by that past experience rather than just saying, God, whatever you want to do, do. Thank you. For some of you, there's a calling coming on your life. A profound calling come. He's preparing something in you for the future. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's it. Just begin to increase it, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
There we are. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Father. Even more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This adds its increase. I'm going to ask you to play that song. Michelle, can you go organize that song? Your face. Just want you to listen. If you're standing, if you don't want to stand, you can sit, but I just want you to focus on, just let this song minister to you. Show me Then gird up my legs that I might stand in this holy place. Show me your face, Lord, your power and grace. I could make it through the end I could just see your face Moses stood on the mountain Waiting for you to pass by You put your hand over his face So in your presence he wouldn't die Presence. 
In a manger a baby was born Among kings and peasants All of Israel saw the glory And it shines down through And now you call us to boldly seek your face. Father, we, we thank you that this is not a work of man, 